0: Everyone and welcome to the Frogcast. TCU loses 24 to 6 in Morgantown to West Virginia. Frogs drop to 3 and 4. We are going to have a lot to say about this game, this season, the state of the program, and a whole bunch of other stuff. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Frogcast. Well, as always, we got the man the power behind the throne Daniel Southern running all of our tech. I've got my sidekick and partner in crime Jeremy Clark, and we have a new member of the Frogcast, new member of Horn Frog Blitz. Uh, Billy Wessels, you are with us. You are not um, unknown to Frog fans on Twitter, Frog fans that have followed you at other places. Welcome to the Frogcast. Welcome to TCU 24 7 Sports.
1: Billy, how are you doing tonight? Uh, thanks. Uh, first off and foremost, happy to be here, but I'm doing okay tonight. I'm really concerned about Drew Brees. If you know me, I'm a diehard Saints fan. Uh, I started Brees in fantasy. I'm going to lose because of that. So I'm really distraught at the moment. Uh, but you know, outside of that, I'm doing okay. Uh, but yeah, excited to be here, excited to join y'all at 247 Sports, uh, Horn Frog Blitz. Uh, if you're familiar with me, I was doing Purple Menace the last uh, seven or so years, kind of took over after Jeremy there. It's kind of our our, uh, our weird little uh, branches have Twisted throughout the years, Jeremy and I. Uh, but yeah, excited to join you guys and see what uh, we all got going on and, and make this next step. Uh, it's, it's just kind of the next logical evolution in my career of covering TCU sports. I feel like is moving on to the, the biggest platform there is, is for a, for a Horn Frog fan. And that's uh, that's you guys are horn Frog Blitz. Biggest platform.
0: I will not disagree
1: with you on that.
0: Um, Thanks. Thanks. Um, tell us a little bit. How did you get into covering the Frogs? And did it, was it preceded by um, you uh, following the Frogs? How did you end up um, becoming interested in TCU sports and how did you end up covering them?
1: Well, yeah, I went to TCU, uh, graduated in 2009, started there in 2004. So I had my victory lap in year, year in there. Uh, let's, let's rewind a little bit further, if you will, to 2003. Uh, I was still looking at what school I wanted to go to. Uh, and I was at a Texas Rangers game. And I won tickets to a TCU game the next day because I knew the score of a, of the TCU two lane game on like a Thursday night, uh, whatever, and to, back in 2003. So uh, they were like giving out tickets to be, hey, if you know the score of their game last week, you can have tickets to this game. And so I went and saw TCU play Navy. I want to say it was like the finals, like 13 to three or 13 to 10, something like that uh, back then. And that's kind of where I started. That was my first TCU game. And then I decided there, kind of visited, kind of toward campus a little bit. I was like, all right, this is it. I'm going to start going here. I worked for the Daily Skiff. I have a record that will never be broken at the Daily Skiff, which is most printed articles published uh, in history with like over 180 in my career. Uh, because now they do they do weekly instead of daily like we were back then. So as far as printed in the actual newspaper, no one can touch my record there. Uh, covered, started covering the frogs back in 05 for the skiff. Got uh, cussed out by GP. It's probably one of my favorite stories. Um, the Corey Rogers incident back then, someone had written a, a scathing story about it in the skiff. I, I didn't write it, but I was just the next person GP saw uh, from the skiff. And he went on a tirade against me for a couple minutes. And, uh, and he goes, OK, so what do you need? And I was just gonna I was writing a story about Nick Sanders. Uh, there's there's a throwback there for you guys. So and, and then what's funny is a couple years later, since I've been back on the beat now for various platforms, uh, I mentioned that the GP he goes, well, would you say you've gotten better at your job since then? I said, yes. And he goes, well, I've gotten better at my job, too. So we've squashed any. Whatever. There wasn't any beef, but it was a squash that put it behind us. Uh, but, yeah, I've been covering the frogs off and on for most of the last 16 years, one way or another. So excited to take this next step with you guys. You
0: know, it's kind of a rite of passage to get uh, chewed out by GP because we have another man on this podcast that when he first started covering the frogs, got chewed out by GP. Uh, Jeremy, uh, is this a long line? Is this a tradition of people getting chewed out when they start covering the frogs?
2: Well, I didn't get I didn't get chewed out by GP himself. I just got kicked out of practice by Don Summer. Uh, he walked up to me and he said, "You got to leave." And I said I looked up at him. I'm not a very big guy. He's about 6'5", six, 6'6". Six, six. I said, "Yes, sir." And I promptly left. That's the only run in I had.
0: Oh, I thought you had written an article about um, you know, detailed information from practice and who looked good. Oh, yeah, who, that's oh, yeah.
2: Is, that's what That's what happened, and the next day, after I wrote that nice, probably about 3,000-word article about spring practice, is when Don Summer came up to me, and that's the year they beat OU. I mean, maybe that had something to do with it. I I don't know. Maybe they need to open up practices again. What do you think, Billy?
1: I'd be here for that, or I'd be there for that, rather. I would love to watch more practice. We usually get one, maybe two a year. Now we get to go watch a little bit of and You can't really take notes. You can't tweet anything you see. Uh, yeah, so I'm blaming you for this, Jeremy. It's all your fault. Hey, what did you write about, Corey? Well, I just want to ask about uh, Raphael Priest and Nick Sanders. So, <laughs> two freshman quarterbacks. How are they going to do? Wow. <laughs> Oh
0: man! Oh, just what we needed—another GP impersonation. One
2: one of these days, one of these days, you're going to have a—you're going to be a moderator between uh, Coach Patterson and Coach O. We're not going to—we're not going to do that yet because I'm not going to throw Billy under the bus (laughs) quite that fast. But you're going to have to moderate one of those uh, one of these times, Jeff.
0: I'll do that. Maybe we can get uh, Billy to do GP, and then you can do the fake Jerry. You got a pretty good fake Jerry.
2: Billy's got the best fake coach O I've ever heard. <laughs> so you're 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 gonna have to talk to LSU's head coach first.
0: All right. Well, that, that's gonna give us plenty to roll with over the next um, off season because it's gonna be a long off season. Let's just be blunt about that.
2: Yeah. Uh, Let me tell you one real quick, man. This is having Billy over here. Uh, I, like Billy said, we've known each other for a long time. We've always been friends in the press box. We've always helped each other out uh man it's it's just so good when he when he called me up and asked me about it I, I, it didn't take me one second to realize man this would be great for us to have Billy over here at the site because TCU fans know him he's been around the football program so long the people up at TCU like him a lot and it's just going to create a lot better content for for Horn Frog Blitz he's a better rider than what I am I I like to keep my ear to the ground to hear about stuff but as far as rider i'm never going to pat myself on the back but billy's a really really good rider and uh he he's going to help make this site so much better so you guys get ready it's it's going to be fun it's going to be well worth the membership and i i just can't wait it, it it's definitely going to be a, a fun ride
0: yeah i expect to hit 20,000 subscribers by the end of the week once I'm um, yeah. the- <laughs> on, on- ramp yep looking forward well, to
1: that all my popularity but i but i appreciate it
0: <laughs> oh, man. So we have to talk about the game now, don't we? I'd much rather go back and relive the 05 season. Let's do a couple minute recap. Billy, I'll start with you. The, there was a train wreck in Morgantown. We're going to go through some details here, what we saw, what we liked, and mostly what we didn't like. But just in short, what went wrong yesterday? We're recording this Sunday night like we always do. What went wrong in Morgantown for the Frogs against
1: the Mountaineers? So my theory has a lot to do with planes. Now, hear me out on this. Uh, Things kind of went wrong when they got off the plane, right? Obviously. And they kept going when they kept going to jet sweeps. I don't understand it. Jet's a type of plane. Uh, They kept running that for some reason. And I understand that the the Sills brothers are phenomenal up the middle. But we had seen Kendra Miller not be afraid of that whatsoever. And I'm not saying become a ground and pound team, but the, the tricks weren't working the getting finding ways to give was it Blair Conright on some of them, Tay Barber on some of them that just simply wasn't working. And yet that became the the play de jour for the TCU offense yesterday, and it really didn't get better. The offense struggled again mightily. Again, you you fly away to Morgantown to kick through field goals, uh, kind of a bummer way and punt in some very unfortunate situations. Uh, we can get to the analytics of that later, or or never if you don't want to. But it just seemed like the team is is, is just stuck in the mud. Uh, and not getting off the ground. Hey, there's another plane reference. So I think uh, that's just kind of where we're looking at right now. I, it's all about the offense. It's all about how much they struggle. And I think it boils down deeper to the offensive line play. But the fact they can't get anything really moving uh, is, is just keeping the team back because we think his defense is really good. I mean, they held West Virginia to 24 points. That's no that's nothing really to, to sneeze at in the Big 12. If you hold a Big 12 team to 24 points, you should expect to to compete and probably probably win those games. So I think it comes down to the offense and specifically the offensive line play in uh Planes
0: Plains offensive line jet sweeps. It all fits together in my mind. That makes sense. Jeremy, what did, what went wrong?
2: I think the fact just going up to Morgantown is what went wrong. Uh not to piggyback off Billy's uh notes, but they just don't play well up in Morgantown. If you look at the last 3 games they've played up there, they lost uh 34 to 10, I believe in uh was it 2016? And then 47 to 10 in 2018. And then obviously 24 uh, 6 on Saturday. So they're not scoring touchdowns up there. We, we did our bold predictions, Jeff. And I made a we always have a bold prediction on who's going to score the first touchdown. And I made a little comment. Well, if the Frogs can go up there and at least score, I think the first touchdown will be whoever. I've, I didn't feel really good about them being able to move the ball on offense, um, and more. And, and West Virginia has really been playing well at home. They're kind of like a they're a different team up there in Morgantown. They're they were undefeated four and zero going to, into the game. TCU I thought would have a little bit more energy because we've seen them play pretty well on the road, but they just didn't have it. And for whatever reason, I think a lot of fans would agree. As soon as we saw this game on the schedule, especially how West Virginia has been playing at home this year, that. Not very many of us were too optimistic they were going to go up there and win. And I just, I blame Morgantown, man. They just can't do it up there. It's been since 2014 since they've won a game up there.
0: You go back to 2012, Frogs obviously win in, in overtime, Josh Boyce and Trevon Boykin on that great play, then the 2014 game, obviously Oberchrome comes back and makes the game-winning field goal as the Frogs fought back in that in that ter- I mean that was a, a w- amazing and brutal game to keep the playoff hopes alive. And then everything since then has just been one cluster after another on our trips up there to Morgantown. That's three in a row that the Frogs have lost. You know, <clears throat> when you recap everything that went wrong yesterday, I just think that we have seen the full regression of the offense. And so you have an offense with no identity. That was on full display. You have an offensive line that I don't even know what the best combo of the five are. And then it's just continual moving parts, people out. I I still don't even know why Austin Myers was out. I understand that maybe they don't want to tell us. But we just continue to see an offensive line that can't block and an offensive scheme that doesn't know what it wants to do. And um, shock, that doesn't score you a lot of points in the Big 12, especially against uh, West Virginia. So I I think also, uh, man, we're just going to get to the harsh truth here as quick as we can. We have some rising coaches in the Big 12, and our staff is not one of them. Neil Brown is a good coach, and the TCU staff got outcoached yesterday. We can talk about why here in a little bit. Neil Brown, you look at what Matt Campbell is doing. There is no, um, you obviously look at Kansas State. I don't feel confident about stacking up our staff against their staff, and then when we have such a handcuffed and limited view of what the, the offense is going to do, that's how you get uh, that's how you could be twenty four to six against uh, West Virginia. So West Virginia is not going to the Sugar Bowl. But uh is not going to a bowl the way they're playing against West Virginia. So, uh, you know, things started dark. You know, obviously, West Virginia goes on a 99-yard drive to for, on their opening possession. And then, as I wrote um, in our outline, everything just seemed to get worse from there. So you go back. You got the 99-yard drive. You look at one or two plays that kind of spotlight how poorly TCU performed. Jeremy, what are a couple of things that you jotted down, maybe in the game thread or in your notes that you you wanted to highlight that that showed you know just how poorly the frogs played?
2: Well, they're constantly playing behind the sticks, uh, and and some of that has to do with play calls. I I think everyone's getting tired of as you mentioned, Billy, the jet sweeps. They're they're not really going anywhere. The screens are about to have everyone yank their hair out. I mean, those quick screens, they're they are not working. I, I haven't seen them work pretty much all year. They're not throwing the football downfield. The thing with with the offense and, and the way you got to get an offense moving is you've got to be able to have some type of consistency throwing the football downfield. And they don't have it. And what we've seen, and, and I'm not going to dog on Max here, and we could probably talk about Max later, but Max has – whether he's whether he's hurt, Gary said he wasn't hurt after the game. I straight up asked Gary if there was something to do with Max, with, with him being injured, if that's causing him to throw inaccurate passes. And he says there's not. We've heard otherwise. People are saying he's got a messed up shoulder. I don't know. No one's really going to say those things. But when you don't have a quarterback that's throwing effectively, that's going to hurt your offense. They had to move some things around. I thought the offensive line was playing pretty well. Uh, the last two weeks, maybe it's the, uh, because of the teams they were playing. But without Austin Myers, as bad as he was at left tackle, the first few games he's he's played pretty decently at right guard. Not having him out there, I, I think hurt. But overall, I, when, when you're playing a team like West Virginia, who who's so strong on on defending the pass, if if you cannot get any s- signs of consistency throwing the football, you're not gonna you're not going to beat them. You're just not, and. Whether it's Max having protection time or defensive lineman in his face, or like Gary said yesterday, and that's one of the things I agree with. I think Max is pressing, and, and what I what I tell you last week, Jeff, the whole phrase that I hate to use, the seeing ghosts thing. I think he's pressing into some of those situations where he's airmailing air those passes. I mean, everyone looked at what that play was to Tay Barber yesterday. I mean, he he threw that ball before Tay Barber even had a break, and Tay could have been. What ten foot eight, and he still wouldn't have caught that pass. I mean, that's that's how bad it is right now. So there's there's just a lot of things that there's so many more bad things, Jeff. We could talk about it for the whole show, but we don't obviously have enough enough time to discuss that. But the main things I saw yesterday was just inconsistent inconsistency at quarterback and big plays again on defense. It's the same story every week.
0: I thought Max was throwing that pass not to Tay Barber but Taco Fall. You know, seven, seven. Somebody jump up there and get that. That was that was an ugly. That was an ugly pass. Let, let's dig into Max right now, and we'll 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 go to you, Billy. Um, what what what? Which Jeremy Billy? What are your assessments of, of how Max has played? Because I, I, you said he's seeing ghosts. You said he's rattled. I I, I hate using like you said. I hate using those cliches and in almost. Uh, pejoratives and cop-outs for why a player is not able to perform. But he's clearly regressed, and things have not gone as well as we wanted them to go for Max this year, and probably not as well as he's wanted them to go. What do you see as the root of this problem? It's easy to say offensive line. I've kind of thrown scheme under the bus. But what seems to be the issue of Max Duggan not being able to move the ball for the Frogs this
1: uh, yesterday? Well, it's easy to say offensive line, and I'm going to take the easy road here. I, I think we don't see him have – the time, and you mentioned the seeing ghosts or or rattled or whatever. If he, hangs, if he hangs on the ball for more than a second and a half, he's getting put on his back or putting on his front or he's got to go get x-rays in two seconds. Like It's been a really tough time and it's really painful watching him gut this out considering what his offseason was and try and power through and put this team on his back. Like we've seen time and time again. We just kind of expect it, but he needs a little bit of help. I mean, I go back to uh, what was the, the, was the Kansas State game? Was it Austin Myers we had after the game, Jeremy? Um, and we got to ask him like, what's it like when you, what do you, what is What do you feel when you watch him limp off the field to go get x-rays? And he goes, it hurts. Yeah, of course it hurts. It hurts him more probably, but you, you, yeah. you can't have, you don't have time. You, you, and it, like you said, it's cliche. It's easy, but that's what we're dealing with right now. We're, we're not dealing with, um, a, an established line. We're not giving max any time. I do think there's some moments where it looks good. I think, like a couple deep balls we got to see yesterday looked pretty good, even though um, obviously the Tay Barber one was super airmailed. You're going to miss some guys like that all the time. Uh, I think Tom Brady missed a guy today like that. It's going to happen to everybody. Uh, but you you like to see more often than not, you're having time to just really go through your progressions and not make those mistakes. I mean, he was still 16 of 29 passing, threw for 161 yards, if you're going to find some kind of optimism, I mean, he's still completing what 68% of his passes or something like that. I think mean, that's what he was going into the game. Oh, it's dropped, down, it's dropped down to 55% after the last two weeks, but he was going into the last two games completing still about 70% of his passes. Um, so it's really kind of a bum- oh, that's That was on a 63, 63% of the season, 55 for the game la- uh, yesterday. So he's still completing more of his passes than he's not. Uh, his average yards per, per completion is up this year from last year, so, somehow uh, his ratings gone up. We, we're not seeing this many interceptions. I, I think we're seeing an okay max I just think he's not having time uh, to really progress and evolve and he's scared and I don't blame him You get uh, The stills brothers are combined 727, 727 pounds and they're on your back every two seconds He's got to have a little bit more time to really sit there and progress and you've got weapons you like your weapons Uh, Blair Conroy, been a big fan of his for a long time. I'm going through now. I want to name receivers aren't on the team anymore because that's been going on a long way too. Uh, But I like John Stevens Jr., he's gone. (laughs) (laughs) Don't say John Stevens Jr., he's gone. I'm probably not a fan of John Stevens ever, uh, sadly. I hope he does well wherever he goes next, but I never saw it with him. Uh, I love DeVay Lentanto, wrong on that one. But you like Tay Barbie, you like Blair Connor, you like Quentin Johnson. You think there's a lot of potential there. You just need a a little bit of development in the offensive line. I think it comes down to, man, we missed Chris Thompson, right? We we thought we could uh, go back to the old bag of tricks. And you mentioned the coaching staff. And we're not going to call for anyone's jobs, or I'm not going to anyway, because uh, GP's not going to fire anybody. He just doesn't do that. Why, why not, Billy? <laughs> why am I not going to? What is GP not? GP's, I mean, it's a, it, these are his guys. He's gone to war with these guys for 20 years. I get it. I, he's got to have their back. But uh, at some point, Jared Anderson's a great recruiter, but the offensive line has desperately regressed, fallen way backwards this year. Uh, I think it all comes down to getting someone uh, in that position who's a little bit more more new age, someone who can um, change the offensive lineup a little bit and maybe fit the scheme a little bit better going forward.
2: One of the things that I that I mentioned last week to you, Jeff, too, and and Billy, you you alluded to it a little bit was you've got Blair Conright, you've got Tay Barber, and you've got Quentin Johnston. Beyond that, there's not much I mean you have Pro Wells, Darius Davis was out. We know we know JD Spielman's gone. the The plays where Max has a lot of time, we see him, and and we and and I've been really guilty of this too. I'm I'm thinking, Max, you're holding on to the ball way too long. You're holding, you're 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 getting sacks. It's covered sacks. We don't. Sometimes we don't see the entire angles. We don't know how the receivers are looking, especially if we're watching on TV. When we're in person, I could see, and this and this is this has been the story of TC receivers. In years past, even with Jalen Rager, as fast as he was, for whatever reason, they don't they don't have a a a great job of c- creating separation. So, I think for some of those cases where Max is just holding on to the ball, he just doesn't have anyone open, and that goes back to inexperience. Yeah, Blair Conrad's an, an outstanding young talent. Quentin Johnson's going to be a star, and Tay Barber ha- has proven what he can do, but. Beyond that, you you just don't have a lot of receivers that are overall experienced and overall out there creating separation and making big plays. Even when even when Quentin's making those big plays down the sideline for those long catches, he's making those catches himself. He's he's doing the athletic play. It's not like he's 4 or 5 yards behind the defensive back and we watch other college games and we're watching those receivers and we're thinking how in the world are those receivers getting so wide open? How, how are they creating so much separation? I know if someone listening right now is nodding their head in agreement because we all watch those things. And when TCU's running re- receiver routes, they don't create that kind of separation. We don't have a Cavante Turpin anymore where you see him going wide open over the middle and no one's even anywhere close to him because he's just beat the crap out of someone off the line. But I I think the receivers and the the lack of experience for them is also a big problem for Max right now and just that passing game in general.
0: Billy, anything else you want to highlight about what went wrong? I know I always take notes and I kind of write down WTF at three or four plays. Um, Did you have any of those moments yesterday that you thought were unfortunately worth rehashing? Because we could, as Jeremy said, we could go on about this all night, but I think it is good to kind of put the spotlight on a couple of things things where it clearly went off the rails.
1: Well, and this is, everybody had the same reaction on Twitter. I feel like when TCU got the ball back with a minute 20 left and a half with all three timeouts, was like, all right, we're going to run this ball out instead of just trying to make a play. I mean, you were down by two scores. West Virginia was getting the ball back at the end of the, to start of the second half. And we, we knew this was coming, right? It wasn't a shock to anyone that they were going to be super conservative and, and not make a mistake that put you even further behind. But I, I feel like, you should have you should have done something more there. Obviously we see this all the time. We see uh we G likes to keep his timeouts for some reason, like they he's gonna turn him in at the end of the year for a gold or something. Like I don't they, understand. Uh somebody why. From needs to tell him they don't roll over into the next year. <laughs> yeah he he could have a lifetime of timeouts going forward if he, if he wants to like keep conserving these but we would like to see a little bit more of the offense and when you ask for a couple of plays I was just going to read the drive chart of that drive like that was what I was thinking I was like oh cool demarcado 3 yard run De Mercado, 5 yard catch demarcado 9 yard run and that's the end of the half like you you could have done something more with that possession and it's hard to boil it down to one thing but it just seems like the the lack of drive, desire to, to want to try and step on somebody's throat, to want to try and make a play like that is apparent. And, and it's, and it's a bummer watching the Oklahoma game. Once they punted with like eight minutes left down by three scores, it's like, okay, well they don't, they don't want to win. Why are we, why are we trying? Why are we watching this? So that, that, that was what stuck into my mind sadly is the the conservative nature that we've uh, grown way too comfortable with.
0: Yeah, I concur with that. they I didn't even think that they were going to go downfield at that point. I just thought, "Oh, we're going to kind of run out the the half here. It's time to go load up on my chips and queso and and be frustrated for 18 minutes and then come back and watch West Virginia get the ball and probably go down the field and score." So, yeah, there is just a, a baked-in assumption of, of 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 a very conservative approach and no no desire to attack. And I think that's uh, systemic of of maybe some things that need to be addressed for the whole program. So,
2: yeah. You know, I Billy, I thought you had the question of the day yesterday for Gary. You know, you asked him straight up. You you want to repeat what you asked him?
1: Well, it was how painful is it to give up a 99 yard drive after you punt from their 35 yard line? And uh, he go, well, he he went to the. Uh, it's like watching someone else take your girlfriend. But then, I mean, he he gave a good answer about it was his own fault. It was the team's fault for letting that happen to him. So it's it's. Um, yeah, it's just just a bummer. And from that moment on, you kind of feel like, all right, this is this is where this game's going to go. And uh, I kind of lost a lot of hope after that moment. So,
2: yep. After those first two drives, they played decently on defense, but once you give up a 99-yard drive, and you're, see- you're seeing Jarrett Dagey just sit back there, scan the field, scan the field again, scan the field, and then he's throwing against your best defensive back, or, or at least the best defensive back going into the season with Merrig, you knew it was going to be a long day. It just, everyone knew at that point, 99 yards, It it's pretty much over.
0: This off season, we are going to do a podcast dedicated to nothing but GP references about girlfriends, or I started number five with my wife and moved up. We could have so many conversations about what GP says about girlfriends and about the way that that relates to football. So that, yeah, I'm glad you're the one that asked that question because that answer kind of caught my eye and I'm like, That's kind of his that's kind of his go to cliche about my girlfriend or, you know, I had to you know, I had to wait out five guys to get my wife. So that's uh, that's kind of what he goes to when he when he doesn't quite know what to say. That's the that's the random GP
1: answer to most things. But you let him talk, you let him use that for about ten seconds and then he gives you a, a thoughtful answer. And like it was a really good answer after that. And and I and I get what he's trying to say there. It's like watching someone take your girlfriend. It's like watching them march on you 99 yards. It's like you you couldn't you couldn't stop them. Everything you did was wrong, and just kind of watch your watch everything crumble around you in, in a in a span of a, a short amount of time. So I got it. It's just it just took some time to get there. Yeah. Like a lot of things with Coach Patterson press conference. It's clear
0: when you listen all the way to the end. So, Well, I, I went back and it, it was noted on Twitter, and I remember this game painfully, but this is the worst loss for the Frogs since 2016, just in terms of uh, the way that they got manhandled in terms of production. So uh, 2016, uh, they lost at home to Oklahoma State 31-6. to That's the year that um, they went 6-7, and seven, lost in the Liberty Bowl. Uh, had beat Texas the week after that loss to Oklahoma State. But what, what, what reminded me of that game against Oklahoma State in 2016 was that there was really never a moment where, even when the score was a little closer, that I thought, hey, we got an opportunity to win this game. And that's how I felt yesterday. And that seems to be systemic. And so, I mean, I don't want to ask this kind of uh, message board open-ended question, but we're a podcast from a message board. What is wrong? And it's more than offensive line, though I think that's the problem. And it's more than not attacking downfield, though I think that's the problem. We're in a serious issue here where uh, the Frogs are consistently inconsistent against teams that they have to beat. When you look at... Iowa State, Kansas State, West Virginia—those are teams that TCU has been recruiting better than since they got into the Big 12. They have better talent, they're in a better location. They should be able to differentiate themselves to those pro- um, from those programs. I'm not saying they can't lose to them every now and then, but those are programs that the Frogs have to beat consistently in order to be competitive in the Big 12. And that seems to just kind of be an afterthought this year. So, if you were to look at what is what is what is broken at the core of TCU football right now. And that's going to lead us into some tougher questions about staff and change up and that kind of stuff. What's at the center of that, Jeremy, what is wrong right now?
2: If I knew I would have already posted it. It, it, it could be a, it could be a, a number of things. It could be um, players just not liking the, uh, the way things are going on on offense or defense. It could be uh the, the infamous has has the coaches lost the team? I don't think that's happened. I've talked to a bunch of people who would would they they pretty much have have family on the team and they laugh at some of the posts on 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 the site when when these random posters are saying the team has been lost. Um, I I don't know, man. It it's one of those deals where it reminds me so much of 2013, where you had a couple changes at the end of the year and it just brought new life into the program. And I don't know if that's what needs to happen. There are some new coaches on staff here. You, you would, you would have thought that uh, bringing in Jerry kill would have, would have been more productive on offense. Uh, offense is completely worse than what it was last year. Doug Meacham coming back. Everyone remembered how he was the first time around. It's, it's something's not working there. Something is not right. I don't know if it's, coaches bickering Uh, I I do know the offense wants to run fast and Gary I don't know for whatever reason wants to go slow uh, or doesn't want to run as much up tempo he says that they do up tempo but if you watch the game yesterday against West Virginia they weren't going fast at all um, pretty much the whole game but there's there's a number of things Jeff I mean we, we could sit here as I said earlier about something else we could sit here for uh, uh, several hours talking about it, but just to pinpoint and blame just one thing, I don't think you really can right now.
0: Well, Billy, you want to take a swing at that? You want well, to take a swing
1: at what, what's busted right now? Well, I think it's it's kind of like um, – this is going to sound like the cliché it's become. It's 2020. And I don't mean that, that everything's wrong because it's 2020. I mean that we are – at this part of like the history of the world, right? This has become more of an offensive friendly sport. Uh, They're protecting the quarterback. They're protecting the receivers. They're protecting everyone on that side of the ball a lot more than they are the defensive players. And this is a program that's been built on defense. Gary Patterson has built arguably the greatest defensive program, uh, definitely in the history of the Big 12. I think going back what he's done in these last seven, eight years, the fact that he's number one in defense almost every year. He's number one or two in defense every every year, uh, going back to the Mountain West days. He's been a top-two defense team, I think, going back all of his 20 years as a program. The game now is about offense, sadly. And you look at the rising of sports gambling. look at the rise of fantasy sports. You see these things are all tailored to scoring points. Uh, and D.C.U. has this defense that tries to prevent you from scoring points, but it's way easier now than ever to score points. And it's time to kind of get with the the century and, and get an offense that – can do some of those things and move the ball further downfield. Uh, I, I still like a first down run. Occasionally I'm starting to see more of, maybe we should throw the ball a little bit more often on first down uh, because you think, Oh, for second and seven, that's not too bad. But the more we see these offenses play, like they're, they're getting so many more first downs and moving the chain so much more. And CC will get a holding penalty and move that way back. That kind of reduces your risk of that. I think it's part of just getting with the, the modern modernization of football. And that's about finding an offense that can score. We saw 2014, 2015, they were, what, top five in the offense nationally uh, and still had that great defense. So we can find some way to get that kind of talent going, get, to get some kind of program going on that side of the ball. TCU can easily jump back up into that discussion, I feel like, every year, uh, but it's just not happening this year.
2: When you got a guy like Nick Saban saying that games are won, I mean, look at everything Nick Saban has stood for. Stood for. He's a defensive guy, and he's out there saying that no longer wins you games. Defense doesn't win you games. It's offense. You've got to outscore these teams now. And you hit the nail on the head. The offense has just, I think Gary has got to take the mindset like he did back in 2014 when he knew there was a problem on that side of the ball and say, listen, I need an offense I could go out there and score. Gary, he he still can have a great defense and hold teams to 20-something points. They were winning these games in 2014, what, you know, 40 to 20 or 55 to 30. I mean, it's – they're gonna they're gonna give up some points if your offense is not on the field very long, but it's it's worth it if you get a W out of the whole thing. Who cares about what your stats look like at the end of the year? Go go by wins and losses, and and I think Gary gen, genuinely wants to do that, and and I don't buy it for one second that he would rather win games fourteen to twelve instead of fifty five to fifty two. But I will say that I I, I do think for whatever reason, and, and it's just my opinion only, and he might call me and gripe at me for saying this, but I think the 61-58 game did leave a sour taste in his mouth because if you look at TCU's chances to make it to the playoffs, they're only lost that whole year. They gave up 61 points after scoring 58. So I, that's just my personal opinion. I don't know if that's something that he still wears on or, or whatnot.
1: You know, I asked him one time what his – uh, most painful loss was. Do you want to take a crack at what do you think it was, Jeremy?
2: I bet it was the 13-10 loss against Utah. That's 08.
1: That was the one he said. So mm. it's games like that that are. Uh, and again, you do this for twenty years. You're going to be in every kind of ball game. Uh, but maybe that's the kind of game you you feel you've got a better chance of winning, right? If you if you keep if you have a lower points, uh, either team has a better chance of winning because it's easier to get to a thirteen point or fourteen point total than it is to get to sixty one points. Or whatever. If you can, if you can keep a team that low, you're more likely to win the game, right? So, and looking back at the 2014 schedule, they gave up 31 or more points just twice. Once was to Oklahoma, and the other one was to Baylor. Obviously, they gave up 30 twice. They won both those games barely. The Kansas and the uh, the West Virginia games. So maybe it's like, well, if we if we give them 30 points, we might not win this game because it becomes more of a, a crapshoot at that point versus if you keep a team to under 10. I I don't know. I think it has something to do with – it all comes down to offense, right? Whoever has the most points will most likely win the game. I think Chris Berman said that. So uh, it comes down to scoring more points than the team you're playing against.
0: I would add that I think uh, GP's worst loss as a fan was his first home game where we lost to Northwestern State (laughs) in FCS team. I don't know if any of you all were there for. So, um, yeah. He still talks about it to this day. He does. Terrence Dunbar won that game single-handedly, but – that was a oh that was a gut punch that was that was his um first home game as the head coach at TCU and we lost to an FCS team not northwestern northwestern state uh, well the the reason i was thinking about this is is you know on its own saturday was bad but it's obviously compounded by 2018 2019 and then 2020 and you know we've played with the phrase 2020 and i know it's a weird year but this is three straight years of pure mediocrity from the offense. I mean, we're just so mediocre, vanilla, bland, unable to put up points on the offense, uh, offensive side of the ball. And so I, I think where this is getting manifested, and so let's go ahead and talk dirty here. We have an anxious fan base. And I know that Patterson says he doesn't care about the fan base, but I also know he loves to block people on Twitter. And so you have this combination of, you know do you do you listen to those outside voices or do you not and you know this realization just kind of hit me today at all places waiting in line to get a covid test which came back negative thank goodness no you know no, no TCU fan my age or younger r- or has any memory of of football like this where you have three straight bad seasons and in fact the uh, frog fans that are 40 and younger have no memory of asking the real question, do we need to make a coaching change? Pat Sullivan left in uh, 1997, my senior year at TCU, and it was obvious to the whole world that he needed to go. But they have not um, had that. They haven't had to ask that. Um, So, you know, we're going to talk about bright spots here in a minute, but I just wanted to kind of segue into this. What is the appropriate response for people that love TCU football, that are used to winning, that are having to kind of navigate through these difficult waters? Because the the most common phrase I hear of people that hit me up on Twitter or people that ask me questions um, on direct message on the board is, is this Michigan State, is this Mark D'Antonio, who who had peaks that their program had not seen, and then they start to slip, and then they start to slip, and then they're in the ditch – and um, your you're, next thing you know, you're losing to Rutgers. So is, is that the comparable right now? Or is there any hope that you guys can offer? Because it seems like the, the fan base is anxious and it's because they've really not been here.
1: Well, I think it's way too early to make that leap that they're going to lose to Rutgers. I mean, they did just beat Baylor and Texas Tech the last two weeks, and I get that uh, we're kind of floundering in the middle to bottom half of the Big 12 right now. Uh, but Rutgers has been historically bad the last few years. Uh, I think that's that's a that's a I don't see that happening. Does the athletes they're recruiting are still at a high enough level. They're still usually third in the Big 12 in recruiting every year behind Texas and Oklahoma. Uh, It's just a matter of how you use those chess pieces, if you will. If you get a whole bunch of queens on the board, you're more likely to win. That's not how chess really works. You get one at a time. If you get more kings and checkers, If you get the piece down at the end and you bring it back as a king, uh, then you're more likely to be successful. It's how you use the pieces. The pieces they're getting are better, uh, seems to be year after year. I mean, they got their first five-star recruit this offseason. They got a five-star transfer, Marcel Brooks. They have the best pieces, arguably, they've ever had. They're just not using them to the best of their abilities right now, and I think it's about uh, doing a little bit of shifting and and making the plays and who's who's the the key master here, who's the one uh, actually using – the game pieces so I think it it all comes down to something like that I don't think you're going to be that necessarily worried again last year they, they lost Oklahoma because Jalen Hurts was granted a fourth down or granted the ball when he was clearly short they're in most of these games I know that sucks and that really hurts but some of these days the balls are going to bounce better your way and you've got a better chance of, of winning some of these games if you're in them until the very end. Uh, this loss uh, stunk. The last couple of years have stunk. I've been saying on, over on, on Toe Talk on my podcast that uh, this, this has been all about 2021. 2021 is going to be the year they're going to make a big leap forward and be back in that uh, Big 12 title, national title, uh, continuing situation. Now, I thought we'd see better play out of Andrew Coker this year. I was heavily relying on him. Uh, that's been a, a, a big kick in the pants, if you will. The offensive line progressed so much that hopefully a, a regular offseason next year, a regular summer camp, can get you back in that in that shape. But I, I, st- I still have faith. Maybe I'm just a homer. Maybe my, my purple glasses are still very heavily tinted. But I still think there's enough talent here to be not mired in the bottom of the Big 12 every year like it's been lately. Well,
0: we are real quick here, Jeremy. Our our message board is unbiased. We have no purple um, filter to view things. So I know that you're used to being a fan, but no, I completely agree with you. We got to keep. <laughs> I look at things through purple lenses as well. Jeremy, what what what's your word to our fan base, especially with the anxiety growing in a, in a spot that we have not been in since
2: 1997? Well, I starting off, I don't think Mark D'Antonio is a really good comparison. Yeah, he had a great career at Michigan State. I'm not going to deny that at all. He he led them to some really good seasons, won eleven games a few times, won thirteen games one year. I think the 2013. They actually the year after uh, they played TCU in the Buffalo Wild Wings Bowl, I think it was. But I don't think they, they made Tony, the playoff in
0: 2015.
2: Did they? Okay, so I mean they got hammered
0: by Bama, but get in line.
2: Yeah. Yeah, they got hammered. That was kind of easy to forget, but he's he did take Michigan State to heights they never had been before. But I don't think he really transformed the program into something as great as what Gary transformed TCU into. So it, I don't, I don't compare Gary with D'Antonio. I would compare him more, even though Gary hasn't won a national championship. I'd compare it more to someone like Bobby Bowden or someone that has just completely transformed the program. I mean, when you guys walk up to Amon Carter Stadium, it looks that way because of Gary Patterson. When you look at the the weight room and the indoor facility and the locker room and everything else, all these, these great su- suites, these loose seating over there, the east side expansion, that's all Gary Patterson. The fact that you see the Big 12 logo, on the football field, in the basketball court, everywhere, every athletic facility TCU has, it's because of Gary Patterson. Now, what I would say as far as the people that are getting antsy, I wouldn't be getting antsy because I, and I've said this on the board. And I don't know if uh, I mean I'm, I. I can say it a hundred times. I, I wouldn't expect anything to change this year simply because there's he's not he's not going to retire right off after a season like this, it's, it's just not going to happen. And the, 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 the fact of the matter is too, this is 2020. You're going through COVID pandemic. TCU, Jeremiah Donati's not going to bring Gary Patterson into his office and fire him either. So it's, I've got a dog squeaking his dang toy in the background and I can't concentrate for nothing. And I'm going to about to yell at my wife here, but anyway,
0: <laughs> hey, I, I do marital counseling. So let me know how. Do. Okay.
2: Yeah. I'm going to be making a call for you. Anyhow. I, I, I don't think, I don't think we're going to see a lot of changes and and that's just my personal opinion. I, I just don't feel it coming. I, I don't, I don't feel the the fact that TCU is going to spend millions of dollars to get rid of a coach when we're in the middle of a pandemic and, and other people at TCU are getting fired or furloughed. Um, staff members whatnot it's it, it just makes it a bad look so yeah there's there's football fans out there we we they, they all die hard they're they're wearing the purple tinted glasses like Billy said earlier but it it's not going to be enough to change anything this year TCU could even go up to Lawrence after Thanksgiving lose come home lose to Oklahoma State finish three and six and there's not there's not going to be anything that changes There is talent left Um, there. Hopefully you don't see a max exodus of transfers now that people can pretty much transfer and go anywhere without having to sit out. But do I, do I agree with that, that there shouldn't be any changes made? I think there should be something done. I think there should be some, some new spark uh, brought to the offense. Jerry kills a good guy. We've talked to him a few times. I, I don't think having a a offensive-minded Coach P is very helpful because he's going to do the exact same thing Coach P wants to do. They want to grind it out, win these football games, heavy uh, possession, time of possession. The way recruits are now, the offenses they play in high school, everything's spread, everything's throwing the football around. You're not going to continue to recruit the way you're doing if you cannot – Show these recruits that you've got an offense ready to ready to uh, hone their skills even better and ultimately end them up into the NFL. But again, we can ramble on forever. I got a dog squeaking his toy in the background, so I'm not really sure what I'm saying about right now. But that's my thoughts on it, Jeff.
0: I would say the comparison is is maybe not D'Antonio and more like Frank Beamer. Because what was Virginia Tech before Frank Beamer? It was, it was nothing. It was, they were an independent and just kind of wailing away. Got him into the Big East, then got him into the ACC. And then he struggled there towards the end, and playing Beamer ball. Beamer ball got them to a national title game. Beamer ball ball got them into the top ten consistently, got them into bowl games year after year. But then it also became the downfall. And so I guess I would say that's the fear that I have at the
2: moment. Um, maybe I'm the most anxious of the three of us on this call here. But that's um, a really good comparison, Frank Beamer. I didn't even think about him, but that is that's probably that's that's a much better comparison than what than, I, than what I was putting out there.
1: Yeah, and I don't think is going to make it. I was thinking Bill Snyder as well, kind of the way that his ten, his second tenure ended at Kansas State, kind of slowly dwindling down.
2: Yeah, and if you look at everything around there, I mean the stinking stadiums named after him. So Bill
0: Bill Snyder Family Stadium.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, hopefully we don't hire Ron Prince to follow um, Gary Patterson, we should be okay with that then. We should be okay. Well, I wanted to I wanted to build off of one thing that you said, Jeremy, and then we're going to go back and look at highlights from the West Virginia game. I I know I do not believe they're going to make any substantive changes, especially at the top. Um, I, I do think the Jerry Kill experiment has kind of run its course, but there are bigger issues that the university is facing than whether or not they go five and four, six and three, three and six. You know, obviously, COVID has, has, has caused um, funding problems at the university. There is a, I don't want to get into university politics there, there's a subtle, there's some conflict going on among faculty. Um, administrative staff, educational staff, and then kind of the bigwigs that are making the university hum, and they feel as if the, the dollars are being shorted to faculty and to student programs, and uh, too much money is being on, spent on buildings and things such as that. And so, I don't think a a, a big multi million dollar buyout, you know, not just for Patterson, but for across, you know, four or five coaching changes. I don't think there's money for that right now, and I don't think they'd be able to keep a lid on all of the all of the fight that would um, un, be unleashed from that. So I got, I got a few friends that are in positions like that. They are not happy with the university. I get that. Nobody's happy with decreased funding and needs continuing to be there. But I don't think the, the university can take the PR hit right now that they're barely able to keep the lid on. So
2: we'll see what comes of that. And I don't know what Billy's heard, but I haven't heard of any – you know, we, we we get the question asked on the board. Um, people all of a sudden think TCU's like Texas. That, or not all the TCU fans, but there are a few uh, a few of them that think that there's a lot of big cigars running around TCU. There, there's not. A, I haven't heard any kind of discussion where big money guys are, are calling Donati and saying we demand a change. we, we we're not going to donate money to the program anymore unless you make a change. Haven't heard any of that. Uh, I've heard maybe some emails from random fans, but as far as like the the, the, the big guys that donate a lot into the program, haven't heard uh, of anyone making any kind of claims. Like you would down, if you go to any Texas site, they're talking about, well, I know this this big guy, this big money. He is very displeased. And, and not only is it one guy, it's multiple guys. It's 20 of them that want to get rid of Tom Herman or whoever, whoever coach is down at Texas. It's not like that for, for TCU. And uh, I know some people have asked about that a few times on the board. So if you're listening now and you haven't seen it on the board now, now you know the answer. Well,
0: I'm having lunch with Dick Lowe tomorrow, so I'll ask him how, how he's doing. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's really just a one man um, booster program. Um, It used to be the old fashioned way with Dick Lowe and I liked it a lot better that way, but You know, in the end, that's probably the only person that Donati would listen to. You know, is Dick Lowe in and his buddies? If Dick Lowe's in, his buddies are in. And that's kind of all that matters if you really want to know. So. Greatest moment of my life, um, other than my son being born, was when um, I met Dick Lowe. So I I got to meet him at a funeral with a bunch of old guys that played at TCU and contributed to the university in ways that were off the books and not approved of by the podcast. Oh, no. Oh, my gosh. Was that amazing? The stories they told. Oh, my goodness. We should, we should have Dick Lowe on the FrogCast.
2: That's, frog That's for another FrogCast. for so. another FrogCast. Hey, Jeff, you're breaking up a little bit here talking about NCAA infractions. I I can't hear you real clearly. Can you hear
1: me? <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. Best moment of your life was at a funeral that kind of says something about your life. It, it does. I said, <laughs> that was in the birth of my son. <laughs> okay. Second place. That's still pretty high for a funeral.
0: Yeah. I, I did Orville Neal's funeral. He played on the... Fifty-seven Cotton Bowl team. He was a member of my church in Alito. and um, it, they had a big party at the Ridgely Country Club with all the with all the big cigars. It was the closest I ever got to the inner circle at TCU football. So it was it, in my scape of things that I value. It was kind of cool. So <laughs> I, I guess being ordained or being baptized should be up there. But hey, man's got man's got his priorities. So all right, let's flip back to the game. What do we take out of it? What are some bright spots, Billy? What did you take away from this game that at least gave you some confidence moving forward as we kind of move to wrap up this show? Give us
1: some frog – give the frog fans some hope. Well, since that that's going to be a very short discussion, I'll mention the one time I met T. Boone Pickens. Uh, that was pretty phenomenal. That was a lot of money, a lot of cigars there. Um, <laughs> and I've interviewed Jerry Jones twice. So I've been around some money like that, but I've never experienced any of that myself. Um, bright spots from yesterday. Well – I did think Kendra Miller looked good. Like I mentioned that before. Uh, I think he's just become a big physical runner. He's kind of who we expect Zach Evans to be, kind of a big body just bowling people over, uh, not getting tackled for any significant reason. I think he's the guy who we've uh, come to believe is is could be the, the real five-star talent and, and five-star personality and five-star work, work ethic, uh, even with the two-star tag on him, uh, according to a former site I used to work at. Um, but then you've got, <laughs> uh, I also thought Garrett Wallow had a pretty nice game It's hard to give a whole lot of praise to the defense I think he, he should have, he was close to forcing Two fumbles, I think he forced one, they recovered It, and there was another fumble in that 99-yard 99 99 yard drive that he nearly forced as well I think Wallow had a pretty nice game We well, you kind of expect that week in, week out with him uh, But Kendra Miller has been my, my brightest Spot, if you will, for the season
2: and, and definitely yesterday Jeremy, what you got? Bright spots From yesterday, they're like Billy said, there wasn't very many of them. Um, golly, <laughs> bright spots. Working in Kelsey. And you, and, and you, and you, and you even gave me this. Hey, Jordy Sandy. I mean, he had a great punt, and then he then he stayed in there and took a pretty hard shot. And, and, and all joking aside, Jordy Sandy has played pretty good this year. He's he's improved, uh, and, and I'm not giving. I'm stinking talking about a punter here, but I mean he he's been a bright spot. I, I mean, uh, Earl. Earl had another good game yesterday. I think he got some pressure. Uh, Kari Komen, love that kid. I think he's going to have a phenomenal future. Uh, he he just he just gets things done, man. And once he gets more weight on him, he's going to be even better. Keep that speed, but just overall, just looking at the season in general, I, I I think when you look back at these games and a lot of these players that are making some of these big plays, they're not old. They're all very young. And that gives you hope for, like Billy mentioned earlier, 2021 or even beyond that. But we got to sit back and just realize this. This team's missing a lot of key players, and and they're just not they're not very old. They're not an old team. They're they're young, and that's one thing. Other other programs have a lot of young talent. And they they win, but this year it's just not happening for TCU. But it, it gives me uh, hope for the next few years.
0: Yeah, yeah, I was gonna say, uh, Jordy Sandy, it's uh, nice to see him actually be able to punt. Um, last year was pretty rough, I remember when they made that change in the Texas game last year with him punting, and he he had a really solid game. And um, he's um, unfortunately getting a few too many kicks in per um, game, but I guess I would go with um, I guess I want to go with Miller as well. I mean, he is the running back that you know, not to steal Billy's thunder here, but. That's who we thought Zach Evans was going to be, and he continues to be the most consistent runner. I want to, I want to get somebody smarter than I to go back and look through his, his yards after contact. He always is able to keep churning and be able to pick up more yards after he gets to the second level, so I really like him. Um, Coleman also has been referenced. And then I guess what my bright spot, and I have poured through the roster to see who's, who may fall into this category, but Darius Davis – Obviously, he did not play and we missed him, but Mm -hmm. I think he's going to be into that category since no one has a year of eligibility charged to them this year. He might be the kind of guy that's going to stick around for a fifth year and be able to really, really contribute, not just this season when he gets back, hopefully, and then the next year, which could have been a senior year, but then maybe he's going to get that fifth year, and he's going to be smart enough to come back and play one more year at TCU, and he can continue to do some damage, not only returning kicks, not only in the offense, which I do like the way they have included him in the offense this year, but Jeremy, put you on the spot. Is he the guy that they had playing
2: D-back this week in practice? I don't know the answer to that, to be honest. He's the one that I would have suspected to play over there because they recruited him as a cornerback out of high school. And it wasn't really until midway until his, uh, into his senior year when Louisiana Tech and some of these other schools started watching him and were telling him, hey, you could be a star on offense. And TCU kind of had to change their whole recruiting philosophy and make him uh, as, as a receiver target and that's how they got him on i mean if, if TCU did not switch their philosophy he'd probably been playing at louisiana tech because he was they they were straight up recruiting him as a cornerback uh before his senior year and man i'm glad i'm glad they changed their mind
0: yeah as am i i think he's going to you know, have a good year the rest of the year if he can get back for the Kansas game. Having that bye week is going to help there. And then I do think he's going to have two more years after that, so that could be good news for the frogs with that that depth
2: and that experience. So we'll see how everything turns out there. Can I ask a favor real quick regarding Zach Evans? Sure. Can someone, if you if you're going to sign up to the site, can you can your username be Zach Evans Chinstrap, or can we have a Twitter name Zach Evans Chinstrap? Just want to see it out there because a the kid keeps losing his helmet every game. Texas Tech, he got it yanked off one time, but can we get that?
0: I, it seems to be an ongoing issue. Yeah, somebody should start a parody account, uh, Zach Evans Chinstrap, and you, you would have dozens of followers within like a month. So, I, think... I mean,
2: that's the real reason why he's not playing from, from what I was told. He's They said he refuses to tighten it up, so he's not getting <laughs> playing time. <laughs> that five-star
0: entitlement right there, Jeremy. Yeah. I'm going to quote yeah. you on that. I'm going to put it on the account, the, the account as soon as I create
2: it. For okay. anyone thinking I'm telling the truth, it's a clearly a joke. So save your posts. Yeah.
0: <sighs> All right. Um, anything else you boys have before we wrap up this episode of the broadcast? Anything else you came on here and wanted to say? Anything else that came to you while somebody else was talking? Let's uh, empty it out now before we wrap it up.
1: I think it's better that we quit talking about West Virginia as quickly as we can. I think it's better for all parties involved. Completely agree. Jeremy, you just
0: got
2: vetoed. Overruled. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, what happens if they go up to Kansas and lose? Do we we say it's a bad loss even though 2014 team almost lost to Kansas?
0: Hey, can I remind you the 2018 team did lose at Kansas?
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah, I remember. We were there. 2017 also almost lost to Kansas. The Kansas game was always unnecessarily close. I think there's been one – or maybe the last two home games have been blowouts, but that's been it in that series.
2: 2017 wasn't.
1: <clears throat> <clears throat> yeah, I remember the – what was that, the 2016
0: game at was home. It 2016 or 17? No, 20 – no, we blew them out at home in 2017 because that's when they shortened the game because of lightning. It was the 2016
2: game. Is that right? No, I'm talking 2017 day? when Meach came back when he was with Kansas, and he had like three yeah. yards of offense. He had like 43 yards of offense, something like something crazy.
0: Okay, maybe I have it wrong though. Maybe I have it wrong because I thought, um yeah, I, I must have it wrong. I remember Kenny Hill having a bad game, and um, who was the who was the kicker that bailed us out in that game? I can't remember. They all, all the close Kansas games run together in my head, so I could wonder. I could wonder about that the rest of the show. So in 2017, yeah. Kansas had
1: a total of 21 yards of offense. That's right. That's right.
0: Wow. And, yeah. John DR's had a big touchdown pass in that game, and Les Miles was in the booth with Tim Brando. I remember watching that. So,
2: will, will any team ever be held to that low amount of offense again? I don't think so.
1: Like it's, it's not anymore, right? Unless TCU does it next time they play West Virginia, <laughs> That's right? <laughs> That's right. Angry emails
0: coming our way. <laughs> hey. No, I looked it up. Twenty sixteen game at Kansas. That was a close game as well. So, yep. Uh, but what happens if they go up there and we lose? If you think things are bad now with fans, you just wait. We haven't seen anything yet. If we lose at Kansas,
2: so. Jeff, that's the um, Saturday after Thanksgiving. I'm going to be spending time with uh, family, and I'm going to let you moderate the board that night.
0: Not a problem. I will take care of that. I will be blocking people like crazy. And if you ever wonder who deletes your stupid comment, that's me, not Jeremy.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm You I, take ownership of those things.
0: Oh, heck yeah, I do, man. I take ownership. If you post something stupid, I'm taking it down. I don't care. <laughs> you literally told me I'm giving you this for to keep an eye on stupid things when I can't watch it. And that's the only reason I have a moderation account just to, and so I get real happy with it and, and um, exert. I'm like Dwight Schrute. I just exert a little authority. <laughs> so,
2: And Billy, Billy has a pretty big ban hammer too. Okay. He, he likes to use it. I ain't afraid
0: of nobody. That's right. I love that there's people that have been banned, created new accounts and then been banned again. But your money's good. Once you make you make that uh, payment, it's not once a month. We we draw it all out, and that goes straight into our pockets. So don't forget that.
2: Um, yep, true there. Well, I don't have anything else, Jeff.
0: I got nothing. I got no- I, just like this game. I got a whole lot of nothing. Well, we want to thank everybody for listening to this episode of The Frogcast. If you haven't yet, track us down on your podcasting app of choice. Give us a rating and a review and subscribe. We try to get that thing into your Monday morning um, podcast feed so you can listen to it on the way to work. Hopefully the next time that we're recapping a game, we will be able to have a win. But if we have a loss after Kansas... Hey, it's good to grieve with people. And also, if you haven't yet, go to hornfrogblitz.com and subscribe to TCU 27 Sports. This is your go-to spot to keep um, keep informed of what's going on inside the program, outside the program. And this is the best place to stay informed of what's going on with TCU recruiting for the 21 and 22 class and beyond. So until the next time we get together, for Daniel, for Jeremy, and for Billy, I'm Jeff Mitchell. Thanks so much for listening to the Frogcast.